0: Leaders, to this week's episode of the Life Group Leader Podcast. I am Pastor Hayden, and with me is the preacher of this week's sermon, Pastor Evan. Hello there. And we are so glad that you are listening to this podcast. As a matter of fact, this is a tool that we love to do week in and week out, except for last week because uh, my wife had a baby and I was not here, and Pastor PJ preached. But anyway, uh, nevertheless, we use this as a tool to make disciples of Jesus Christ, and we do that by reaching, teaching, and training. And this podcast is a great way for us to train you to teach your people to make disciples. And so we're so grateful for you guys. Looking forward uh, to your life group time this week uh, as we jump into The King Has Come, True Worship, Part 2 from Matthew uh, chapter 2, verses 7 through 12, which I'll just read that briefly here for you guys. It says there, starting in verse 6, 7, "...then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was." Well, Pastor Evan, uh, as we jump into a little bit of an overview recap uh, and m- maybe deeper insight into the text that w- you were preaching
1: this morning, uh, what do we need to focus on in way of the preaching point? Well, we need to make sure as we see God's plan uh, revealed, uh, progressive through Scripture, and especially in the moment as we see, I mean, the a wise men got to be eyewitnesses to God's unfolding plan, right? You know, there. And because of it, it drove them into proper worship of God and to follow Him in obedience to whatever He called them to do as we see in the end to follow him and even though it took them far, it took to a place far away and a detour back to home. But over the but overall, we need to make sure that the unfolding of God's redemptive plan through Christ needs to motivate us, you and I, to a proper worship of Him. Mm. Good. As we looked at through
0: the points, obviously, one, demolish all of your false worship. I think everyone would agree with that point. I don't know if there's anybody who would call himself a Christian Christian who would say something like, yeah, you know what, I I don't think that we should get rid of any false worship. But where can we often be uh, deceived when it comes to false worship that we too can be
1: participating in uh, and not even knowing it? A good test is uh, false worship is idol worship. And all of it, all of it is really driven to is ourselves. And when you notice that you might be upset, maybe in the manner of which maybe a Sunday service is conducted, or maybe in the way that your life group functions, or in maybe you hear about someone doing their personal quiet time in a in a, in a different way, and you're upset, and you can kind of catch yourself in that, you can notice that well. I'm the one that's upset right now. Is it because they're not doing it the way that it's edifying, glorifying to God, or is really just is this a preference of mine? And then that's where how does a preference? So how does a preference uh, masquerade as uh, true worship when it could be false worship? A preference is all about you. It's all Mm -hmm. about me. It's all about the self. What you would like and what you would prefer to do, rather than saying, "Okay, God, what do you want me to do?" Mm -hmm. Um, Even saying, "God, what do you prefer?" me to do. Okay.
0: You said something uh, similar to uh, the question, am I trying to build myself up or Christ? And, you know, that's a really good example of am I he- am I giving genuine true worship or am I giving false worship? Uh, let's talk about examples. How can we uh, be uh, giving false worship, kind of like Herod, where it seemed like if you were out of context reading the Scripture, it seemed like Herod was right along with the wise men trying to find who the king was. Uh, and so how can we Uh, oftentimes looking like we are trying to have genuine, true worship when it's really false worship? What are some ways that that could uh, come to
1: realization in our own lives, especially as we're telling our life group leaders how to help their group? I mean, there's three examples I think Jesus gives in Matthew 6, and I don't know if I have you turn there in the application questions, um, but if not, Matthew 6, uh, especially verse 1, Jesus handles three issues at the time, uh, giving, prayer, and fasting and for us maybe the disciplines of our day is bible reading it can be podcast listening it can be commentary diving into it can be prayer life as well serving and if we're doing it for the motive for to be seen by others so for example you're serving in the way so that your pastors can see you so that you can be maybe built up to say i want to be an elder of the church i want to be a deacon of the church and i i want this so i want to serve in such a way that pastors see me and say well I have to put him I have to put this person in leadership well that's quickly not about God it's about you obtaining a position an honorable position but not to, for the purpose of building God's church but for you to be maybe behind the pulpit to teach it can look like you come, people come to life group and just wanting to share what they learned because they found some good commentaries. They found some good pastors preaching the same text and just being the um, app, uh, not the applicator, but the, the, commentator. Uh, the commentator in the group. Right,
0: which it could come in way of being an oversharer, right? The, the One of the ways that we give false worship, even our life groups and leaders, this is good for you, having oversharers, people who just want to keep sharing and keep sharing and keep sharing in their life group. Uh, but we often understand that even oversharers aren't actually connecting their life to the application question nor are they actually applying the application question they're just
1: trying to make it about them. themselves for this to be seen that's why i love what jesus words saying you're doing this to be seen by others right. they're giving to be seen by others to fast be seen by others to uh, to pray to be seen by others and so there's there's some simple ways This with uh, with life group with sunday worship even with personal time uh, it can be about ourselves instead of christ
0: right and, and the good news is this isn't bad To think about false worship and your false worship, because what it does is when you uh, identify it and you get rid of it, you start living for God's word and your life starts becoming more uh, pure, at least even in the actions. Obviously, you're going to be sanctified, but you're going to look like the word of God more. And so that's a positive thing. But in order to be positive in that way, you have to begin demolishing any false worship. And you have to be looking at God's Word to help you direct and correct your life. And then you live to please God. And your life not only makes more sense, you know, in some kind of ethereal way, but when you read Scripture, you look at your life, and you're going to see them uh, parallel a lot more uh, because you're living to please the Lord. You're living according to God's Word. And I like that you talked about ways to— uh, starve your idols and you said tether your feelings to God's word right feelings aren't a bad thing they can become bad when our feelings become the thing that we pursue other than God so I thought that
1: was really great yeah and then re- life group leaders i highly recommend reading for yourselves gospel trees and it's going to really impact you but also impact your the people in your life group and in that book he gave two quick applications that I think in our in our um, life groups that we need to remember that we need to establish and maintain a wartime mentality. that's uh, quoting the book. And sometimes we forget, you know, our life groups, we kind of, we, we know that. But then we kind of love the communal aspect, the friendliness aspect. We forget, no, we are also at war with Satan and his schemes. And we need to be soberly aware of that. And thankfully, we can turn to Christ in that. Um, but also to make choices that starve our idols any time if you can do you know any type of weight loss program, what you need to do, you need to cut out the sugar and the junk, right? And that's the hardest part of any type of weight loss plan. Mm-hmm. And the part of removing false worship, the hardest part is going to make choices that starve your idols. Why? Because starving is not pleasant. Starving is not fun. But in terms of starving yourself from sugar is going to be a benefit to your body. Starving out idols is going to be a benefit for your soul. Right.
0: All right. Good point number one. Point number two, see the gratification of proper worship you know, we, we both wish that sometimes that we can articulate these points in a way that uh, that you can see the heart behind what we're trying to say. And seeing the gratification of proper worship is trying to show you that it should be a pleasure to worship God properly. Like, to you, not not just a, a responsibility or a, uh, a stewardship, but an absolute pleasure, pleasure. You should find gratification in worshiping God properly. Uh, and so, you know, not that we need to take so much time, uh, to, to rehash what we've already said, but as a life group, just think about the fact that, listen, if you don't have pleasure serving God, like we see the, we saw that really in the life of the wise men, that they had pleasure in giving the gifts. It, you know, it was, they weren't reluctant and they, they weren't being drugged through the wilderness and the desert. They were, they were tr- trudging and walking with a mission because it was to their pleasure and, and to the gratification of their, their lives to properly worship. And it, so in your life group, Really continue going back to that point. If when you start reading the questions, p- particularly that revolve around point number two, zoom in over and over again on the gratification of properly worshiping the king. In- anything you'd add to that?
1: I think this is going to be a helpful point for your life group leaders. This is where when people talk about, oh, resting in Christ. This is what it looks like. It's, it's pleasurable to serve him. It's pleasurable to obey him. It's pleasurable to worship him rightly. And I'm just trying I was trying to think of an illustration when I was prepping for the sermon the only illustration was a negative illustration of building those um, handrails for the stage and the torture that it was for us you know a few men that were laboring to do mm-hmm. that we hated it every aspect of it because we' it's like this is we don't care about this this is not really of our benefit and we really didn't put in the time to even try we couldn't figure out how to cut a 45 degree angle mm, don't talk to me but with Christ it's perfectly fitting it is something that's worthwhile and, and that's the whole point. it's like hey you know because your worship
0: should be gratifying doesn't make it not work? Did I say work or worship? Your worship work. I just want to make sure I'm saying worship and end work right your worship is not not work right your worship will oftentimes uh, look like work and just because it's hard work or difficult work doesn't mean it is cannot be gratifying. And I think the the stage was a great example of being up until two in the morning to to get that
1: done. But it wasn't gratifying when we were finished because we had no idea if we were going to <laughs> right. Fi- pass. Right. But it's like you maybe building a playground for your child or maybe you finishing the repair and the leak in your home to go, all right, is good labor to be finished with this because now it's worth it. Right. Yeah, there's so many ways to go
0: there. But. I like you said, have a humble worship, have joyful worship, have prepared worship. Your worship
1: in life should be all of those. And if you cannot find joy in worship, you're not worshiping. And here's the trouble. And I really went through this about several years ago. I had a really hard time worshiping God through song uh, for a good, is it almost a year? I had a hard time doing it. And it wasn't until I read a book by Don Whitney called Spiritual Disciplines, who really challenged the idea of singing as part of a spiritual discipline worship, they said, well, why can you expect for you to have a good experience of worshiping God on Sunday when you're not even worshiping God through the week? And so the, as life group leaders, the real you know, point for the these questions and for this this point is the challenge of people to worship God every day through the week. It's not just on Sunday. It's not just that life group. It's every single day we're worshiping the Lord. And as you think about worship, even
0: as we started talking about before, uh, when it comes to uh, point number one right, making things about yourself like when you think about music and, and this we t- he, pastor Evan briefly talked about this and I'm not trying to get into the the worship debate in culture but what I am trying to do is say, hey it doesn't matter if you like music. God likes music you know it, the scripture teaches over and over again that God loves music and he loves song and so this is not even about you coming in here liking music. this is you understanding that be- because God loves music, I'm going to worship Him the way He wants to be worshipped, and so I'm going to sing. you ever thought about that? I'm going to sing because God wants a song. God wants His song. He wants His truth sung uh, in praise and glory to Him, and that should change the way that we do worship throughout the week, but it also should change the way that we worship on Sunday mornings. Like You're not coming in here and you're not singing this song extra loud because you like it. You're singing these songs out loud because God likes it, and that's just a kill that false idol in your life of saying that, oh, I don't sing because I don't like music. Well, it's not about you. This is about God liking his music. music, And you should be gratified. right? As you're like, hey, it doesn't matter what my voice sounds like. It doesn't matter if our church has the best worship or the worst sounding worship according to our culture. God loves the song. Mm-hmm. And you see how that becomes
1: my gratification of saying God loves it. I'm going to love it. And it doesn't just happen on Sunday. It needs to happen through our week. Mm-hmm. And that's the point of life group, to spur us on to loving good works, to help us worship him rightly, even when we sing songs to him in the privacy of our homes, to sing and to mm-hmm. worship him as he studies his word and to worship him by obeying what he commands us to do.
0: So, and keep thinking about that, life group. The question you can help your your uh, life groups with great application is simply this. Ask your group, pose the question, does God like it? right Everything that you're doing throughout the week, you need to ask, does God like this? Does God want this? And so it's like, hey, does God love, does God love uh, worship music? Well, sh- well not all of it, of course, right? The right kind, but does God want to be worshipped through song? Yes, he does. and I'm going to do it. right. Does God want me to live with my wife in an understanding way? Yes, he does. So I want to do that, right? We need to ask ourselves, not do, do I want to do it or do I like it? We need to continue to ask ourselves, does God like this and does God want this? Undoubtedly, the wise men asked that question before they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Right? It wasn't even you alluded to it. I shouldn't say alluded to it. You even talked about this. these were common gifts given to kings, right? They knew that, hey, this is, this is a fit gift. And you know what a fit gift in our life is? To ask, does God want this? Does God like this? Because if he does, uh, my opinion and feelings about it don't amount to a hill of beans. I need to subject my feelings to the king of the universe. Mm, all right, come on. We have one more point? Yes, we do. What, where are we at? One. Let God's supremacy propel your obedience. I love that, right? Because we are submitting in obedience because of who God is. And that's the most important thing. Even when we're talking about a baby, right? I love that. We're talking about a baby, but the kings knew. Or listen to the kings. Uh, the wise men knew we are worshiping him not because of he's in this cradle but because we know who he
1: is and inevitably where he will stand anything for that i think that's going to be really important i think that aspect of there of understanding who jesus is in the in the full picture in the full portrait there's a danger and i think our life groups need to know that there's a danger just to focus on you know who he where he's going to stand soon without remembering what he did as he humbled himself. When you what, see the what do you fo- mean? You mean on the cross? I Meaning on the cross. Sometimes we, we're like, oh, he's going to come back riding on the horse, going to take out his enemies, but he's also the humble king that was, you know, as Matthew, 12, uh, Matthew 11, who's gentle and lowly and yeah. humble himself. In life group, you're going to have probably, because we live in this
0: culture that people mitigate the supremacy of Christ by magnifying the humanity of Christ. And now I, no one wants to minimize the humanity of Christ because he was one hundred percent man. OK, but the problem is in our culture, we want to make God so much like us. The best thing we can do with Jesus is make him more like us. And so that he is gentle. He is lowly. He was in a manger. But that only finds its grand significance in the fact of who he really is. Right. For, for the rest of us, like, I, you know, Titus was just born. Theodore is just, you know, a toddler in his own right. There's nothing magnificent about those two boys. What You know, it's like in the same way, the reason that we think it's so magnificent that Jesus was that wasn't because he was that in and of itself, but he was so much more who manifested himself in the likeness of man like that as a baby. Do you see that? That's why we need to let God's supremacy propel your obedience, because we talk about this infant narrative because of how awe-inspiring it is that the God of the universe, the supreme God of all creation manifested himself as a babe
1: and the reason why i chose obedience is really tempted to put you know let uh, God's supremacy you know uh, motivate our worship and i chose obedience because one obedience is a part of worship no doubt and we in our groups have to know that obedience is a part of worship because we w- were doing what god wants us to do and the reason i chose obedience is because that's what the wise men did they worshiped god and they obeyed him and I love Psalm 86. I don't know if I had you guys turn that to the application question. was it Psalm 86, 8 through 11. But I love verse 11 because David is recognizing who God is. He says, teach me your way that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. And when we realize this, realize the supremacy of Christ, our reaction as thankfully redeemed saints is that, God, you you have to teach me. You are far more superior. It's like me with the stake. I don't know a thing or two with uh, how to cook a steak outside of seeing a chef going, okay, you're clearly qualified. Teach me. You are more superior as a chef than I am. And so for God, he is the most supreme being ever in existence for eternal existence. God, teach me your way that I may walk in your truth. And so our life groups need to know that one, obedience is a part of worship. And two, it's driven and fueled by the fact of how magnificent God is and especially Christ. Good. All right, life groups. Hey, when it comes to the
0: application questions, I'd like you guys to zoom in on question number four, Uh, and it is about being prepared to worship God, right? And I'd love you guys to zoom in on that question and help your life group understand the necessity of the preparation of worship. I think of the wise men and how they prepared not only for their journey, but with their gifts, uh, with the ideas and and not just the ideas, but even how they knew, hey, when we get to him, this is what it's going to be like. This is how we're going to worship.
1: And then for life group leaders, the question I want you to hone in is actually the last question, question number five. And the reason why is especially after the non existent red wave of this current election cycle, we're gonna probably have some pretty anxious people in life groups. We're wondering about the culture of death that's permeating in several other states and this country. And these passages are gonna help us um, remember that God is the really the supreme being of the universe and that we can obey him despite whatever culture decides to do.
0: Good. All right. Anything else to add to that before we jump into our training? Nothing more. All right. Why don't we jump into the training for this week's counseling training for our life group leaders? All right, life. And and life group leaders, we're doing this because we want you guys to continue taking up that mantle of counseling for your life groups. Obviously, we want to make sure that we're equipping you. We want to make sure that if you have a, a, a case that you don't believe that you are equipped to handle, we want you to bring that to us. But we want you to be equipped to handle a lot of things. So this is why we're going to take time to talk about counseling
1: and particularly this week of the marriage variety. And so, Life Group Leaders, this is, uh, I think, part number three, and this is based on a pamphlet written by Jay Adams titled, What Do You Do When Your Marriage Goes Sour? And, you know, Pastor Hayden and I have had plenty of counseling sessions based on really, you know, sour marriages, um, even since you know we first moved out here and thankfully we've seen marriages grow and be restored, but it doesn't negate the fact that there's more marriage you know, more people coming, which means there's more people who are in need of good biblical counsel when it comes to marriage. And the main thrust of this, this is more of a conversation that Jay Adam lays out in his pamphlet. But it's very helpful because it really confronts the, the counseling and a lot of the times when your people have a marriage that is not going well where the husband is mad at the wife and the wife is mad at the husband it's because they're basing their love on a feeling kind of based on the sermon they're f- they're seeking feelings for worship rather than uh, the facts of worship and the fact of marriage is that love is not a feeling no it's an action and now these actions can fuel our feelings but really love is an action that God commands us to do. And in the end, of course, he, at the end of all the pamphlets, he challenges the reader that only the Christian is going to be able to apply this. And this is why it's so imperative when we're doing marriage counseling to understand is this person a believer or not? Because if they are a believer, there is hope for them. That they can have a restored marriage because they're going to follow God's directions. No matter, it's going to be difficult. It's going to take a lot of hard work. You know, He, to quote it, He wants action. He demands change, and that much of that change is going to be hard. And they won't want to always like what God tells them to do, but they're supposed to do it anyway, just simply because He says so. And at the end, you know, at at the time, they won't understand why He's telling them what to do. What He's you know He's commanding them to do. But over time, God's going to use that to restore and repair their marriage if they follow after him. if, first off, they're Christians. And so I know in our marriage counseling, I had a couple cases where one spouse was convinced that the solution was divorce. And I simply said, there's three biblical ways that a marriage can end. One is going to be death. Have any of you died? No. All right. The other one's adultery. Has this person committed any sexual uh, adultery against you? No. If this is this person a non-Christian that's trying to abandon you, no. Well, the good news is, is that divorce is not an option, and the good news is that God can restore it. So repent of the I, I, the idea of divorce is an option because God can repair it no matter how hopeless you feel right now.
0: Yeah, and in, in marriage. If you, especially in counseling, guys, one of our biggest problems in our life is that we uh, belittle so many of. God's designs in our world and in our creation. And what we need to do, particularly in marriage, is to look at God's grand design for marriage. That marriage is an institution created by God for us to exemplify His glory and His character in our marriage. So that automatically, in a marriage counseling, is going to make them understand something that is so significant to our everyday life, is that it's not about me, and it's not about you. This is about God. And when we can live in our marriage in a complementary way that Scripture lays out, we understand that our marriage reflects something about God and His character that our marriage must reflect. And then that brings me to that next part of in way of application, once we elevate the idea of marriage where it belongs, right? It's not an idol, but it's something that represents who God is, uh, we also need to look at some application, especially in ways things like reciprocity. Our culture lives on reciprocity. As a matter of fact, you can be manipulated to do a lot of things simply because of reciprocity. If I give uh, Pastor Evan uh, bubbly water, uh, it's probably going to—he's going to he's gonna feel this uh, this tug and this pull to reciprocate in some way or some fashion to bring me something at some time because he's going to feel, in some sense, indebted to me. That's a cultural. Uh, phenomenon, okay? But the problem is when our marriages become based on reciprocity and not based on the glory and magnificence of God in his institution of marriage that he's laid out, our marriage then becomes about us. Well, I will do for you when you do for me, or that's why most of your marriage arguments become this. Uh, You call out something in your spouse and the spouse says, will you do this to me? That's right there, a a reciprocity fallacy, right? My love for you is dependent on the reciprocation of the feelings and the actions uh, that have been running our marriage. But when God's glory uh, in in his word runs our marriage, we no longer run on reciprocity and feelings. Now, reciprocity can be a good tool for marriage. Believe it. Uh, But what we do is when we look at marriage, it truly is the glory of God manifested in an institution that he's created at the beginning of his word, we start thinking and realizing, man, we've made marriage so much about us. No wonder it's not fulfilling because I am not an idol that is big enough to fulfill the great needs of my life. And when my marriage becomes about me, it won't be sufficient. But when my marriage becomes about God, who it truly is about, it is sufficient and it will uh, allow us to glorify God and then live with our, spouse, our our wives in an understanding way. Wives, you'll understand why uh, submitting and, and respecting and honoring your husband is then a worthwhile thing, and men, to be self-sacrificial uh, men who love our wives, those things make more sense in light of marriage for the glory of God.
1: And what Pastor Hayden is saying is that this is the root um, of, for example, the, the example he gives in the pamphlet of unforgiveness— you're gonna see a lot of unforgiveness in a lot of the marital problems that you see in your life group, and then what we see in counseling, a lot of it is unforgiveness. One spouse not wanting to forgive the other for some offense, but it's because, as Pastor Hayden said, they just don't have an elevated view of who, of Christ, and an elevated view of marriage. Because if if if, our, if we make marriage about God, we
0: can't be unforgiving because the God of the universe is.
1: Forgiving. And so
0: when I make marriage about God, I can't live in unforgiveness because now I'm making it about
1: me. Oh,
0: wow. see, guys, elevate your view of marriage in your life groups through counseling.
1: And then the, if you need this pamphlet, we have it upstairs. What do you do when mar- your marriage gets sour? This is a great, again, a little first assignment to give to any couple that is struggling in their marriage that you can walk with them through this. And again, if it gets too complicated, you feel ill-equipped, reach out to your pastors immediately. All right. Life Group leaders, we
0: have plenty of announcements. Uh, You heard this uh, during uh, our announcements today. We have Christmas uh, at Compass coming up. A lot of events. We want you to look online for that. You'll get them in your email on Tuesday. Remember that Christmas decorations, uh, the deadline to bring Christmas decorations is on the 15th. So that's just really right after you listen to this podcast. So make sure if you have any gently or new used Christmas decorations, you have those up here Got plenty more going on, Pastor Evan.
1: Another announcement. Well, Let's make sure as life group leaders, with the you know compass at Christmas, that we really Christmas push, at compass. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> that we really push and encourage and exhort our life groups to grab flyers and invite people. Yes. And you know we're gonna have an outreach with the 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 uh, angel tree. Uh, yeah, yeah a small outreach. It small we'll, outreach. Yeah. But the biggest outreach is going to be us with the word of mouth passing out flyers into our community. So really exhort us. Hey, guys, let's take five flyers each and give it to five different people. Mm-hmm. And let's hold each other accountable to that because this is so important. Mm-hmm. There is salvation on the line yep. on this. So,
0: All right, Life Group Leaders, so grateful for you guys. Looking forward to your life groups this week. And I just, uh, I'd love to hear about how your life groups are going as I connect with you guys, praying for you guys. Look forward to next week.